Neil Haley show on the Total Celebrity segment. And this guest, I I know he's going to give me a great story, so I'm excited to welcome the program celebrity Bruce Campbell, author of Hail to the Chin, Further Confessions of a B-Movie Actor. Bruce, thanks for calling. How are you? I'm good. I'm uncomfortable with celebrity, though. Really? You're un- why are you yeah, thespian. Call me a thespian. I'm an actor. A thespian. Uh, a thespian, an actor. Okay. So let's, let's kind of you know jump right quickly into, Bruce, the story. Basically, you started from nowhere to get to where you are today, right? It, it was like taking chances and opportunity, knock, and you answered the door, it sounds like. Yeah, if you want to get into any kind of business, particularly show business, you you have to kind of dive in enough to understand what it means to you. Uh, if you dip your toes in it, you won't really know, but if you dive in head first and stay for a prolonged period, that's how you'll know whether it's 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 something you want or something that ain't for you. But I think you got to really get into it first. Oh, de- definitely, Bruce. And let, let's kind of like jump right into what we were talking about with uh, the, the jumping in, did you always want to be an actor growing up? Uh, since I was about eight, I went to see my dad in a play. My dad was in advertising. You know, he wanted to be a painter, but my grandfather sort of shut him down on that because my grandfather worked for Alcoa Aluminum for 40 years, you know. And so uh, in this particular case, he got into community theater as a creative diversion like a lot of people do, and I went to see him in a play. And it was such a different side of my dad. He was cracking jokes. People were laughing. He was singing and dancing with women, you know, that weren't my mother. And it was a, it was a weird thing to watch. And I'm like, wow, I, I think I want a piece of that. <laughs> and it's like, this is something I want to do. And it was your dad's kind of like a hobby thing that you tried. And you're saying, oh, my gosh, this sounds fun. But what about when you told your dad, this is what I want to do? Especially when he was all for it. Him. He was the first investor really? in Evil Dead. You know, because really? he got wow. shut down. So I give him a lot of credit. He said, yeah, go for it. I don't want to do what my dad did. And so my dad, I call him a generational in-betweener. You know, he didn't do everything he wanted to do, but he did some of what he wanted to do. My grandfather did nothing of what he wanted to do. And I basically have been able to do only what I want to do. So I give my dad a lot of credit. Uh, it sounds like you definitely give him a lot of credit for that and the first investor and Evil Dead. So from when you were starting to work as an actor, Evil, you, you did you do some other stuff before the Evil Dead for our listeners out there to understand? No, we, uh, it was all amateur stuff. No, a little theater, stuff like that, all amateur stuff. Evil Dead was the first quote-unquote professional thing. Gotcha. So how did you come up with this idea with the Evil Dead and stuff? Kind of give us that story. Well, that's Sam Raimi, you know, out of his twisted brain. Uh, we had done a bunch of Super 8 comedies in high school and stuff, but we were concerned that if we wanted to make a real movie with a comedy, you'd have to get Bill Murray or Steve Martin, and it would be expensive. But a horror movie, you can use no-name actors, normal clothes, crappy locations, and it would be fine. So that's kind of how we ducked into the horror side. And Sam had read about the Sumerian Book of the Dead in a humanities class at Michigan State University. So kind of developed it from there. It definitely sounds sounds like it, and in a lot of ways. And you're kind of before your time, uh, uh, way before the time of what things have become today, and with independent movies and everything, creating this with the Evil Dead. Because before that, the opportunity like you guys had really isn't out there. 
at that time compared to now with how things are with independent films and up and uh, low budget films. So really, you're you're way ahead of your time in certain ways with Evil Dead. It's changing all the time, though. You know, um, we had pioneers before us, the John Carpenters of the world, the George Romero's, the Herschel Gordon Lewis. There are a lot of people who blazed the horror trail for us. But, you know, it was nice to be able to take, at least Evil Dead, I can say, is a handmade movie that was made the old-fashioned way. There wasn't a digital thing in sight. Uh, It just had to be made. And I think that's what separated the people who really wanted to make movies back in the late 70s. You had to rent equipment. You couldn't buy it. You know, right. uh, you had to splice the negative and buy footage from from Kodak and take it to a laboratory and get it processed. None of that was cheap. So you had to figure out how to do that. Now you go to Kmart, you can buy your digital tower, your two gigabyte tower, buy software. You can make a movie for ten grand now. Right. Or even even less than that, Bruce. You shoot it on your iPhone exactly. and go for it. a short short movie. Yeah, Look at how much. unbelievable the iPhone. Yeah. But then you'd say that your you guys would have to say let's scrounge every dollar together just to get this start filming this. So that process of what's the difference between you know be, doing a B movie where it develops Evil Dead to this unbelievable franchise and versus like just doing a movie on a high budget. Kind of explain those differences and what how things work because a lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. Well, you have a lot of support when you do a big movie. If you do a movie in the jungle, you've got transport vehicles and boats and teamsters and guys who handle snakes. And, you know, you're getting this wonderful meal and, uh, you know, this craft service, all the, all the, you know, anything sweet or savory you want all day long. They have the best cameramen, the best this, but it's slow and tedious. Low-budget movies are fast, furious. You have directors who are very passionate, actors who are very passionate, writers who are trying to prove something. So, but a lot of times they don't know what they're doing. So it's it's a it's a betwixt and between. I like to kind of mix it all up, do a little bit of this, do a little bit of that. With the success you've had, Bruce, do you still consider yourself, especially with this, as a B movie actor? Or do you consider yourself well, much more? Let's just say I would identify with that. That I, I like that group. I like that gnarly group of people. Um, they're not as pretentious. They don't make as much money. Uh, they work harder. They work longer hours with less money, uh, for less money. They have less support. So I don't know. I don't mind that world because they can tell stories that are not as restrictive. If you make a $100 million movie, you're going to shave all the harsh edges off your movie. You can't have anyone be too bad or too funny or too creepy or too weird. You can't kill too many pet people. You can't say certain words. It's very restrictive. In the B-movie world, man, you, you, the gloves can come off. I love that. And and the creative side can come off, too, right, because they, they, they can't slash all the creativity that you want to Exactly. You can to, kill your hero. Them. You know, they don't care in a B-movie. Yeah. They don't care. Exactly. And, and some of those B-movie classics... Did you ever think that Evil Dead would be so popular? Uh, no, we didn't think we would finish the movie. Yeah. I mean, it took four years to finish it. Wow. wow. But no, wow. it was a long, bumpy road. We had no instant aha moment. And the long, bumpy road of writing the book, right, too. This is, this is really getting you out of your comfort zone, right? Writing, uh, writing books, right, for yourself, would you say, Bruce? Uh, oh, well, the book is a whole different ballgame. You know, it's a, it's, it's a 100% different thing. It's out of the box. And I like it because, you know, actors are considered kind of stupid. 
And right. when you write a book, they look at you a little differently. I'm okay with that. <laughs> and that, that's another thing, and, and that's another way when you go and do all these different events, you've got to have a book, right? That's one of your thought processes too, right, Bruce, of writing a book. Is wherever you go and wherever you get, here, here's your calling card, my book, especially if you're doing events, signings, things like that, just another – Another venture. Well, and you put it into the mix. Yeah. You've got your Evil Dead yeah. photos, your Bubba Hotep photos, you know, your Maniac Cop photos, and then every so often someone brings your book by. So you put it into the mix. Exactly. Do you enjoy writing, Bruce? I love it. I love it. It's uh, Again, it's so much different than acting. It's very personal, too. When you're acting, you're working on somebody else's material. Somebody else wrote it. I like doing it where it's your own words. Do you see yourself writing more books? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When Ash vs. Evil Dead is done, uh, I'm pretty much going to go back to my little house in Oregon and get down and write some new stuff. <laughs> well, that's great. There's, there's certain people, once you write books, you, you can't stop, and they can't stop you till you die, Bruce, to do it. So keep that's writing. That's right, and keep writing books doing is cheap. Yeah, exactly. And you can go ahead and pick up your book in all uh, finer bookstores. It's available uh, now on Amazon and all those different places. Where can we find information on you, Bruce? Where's the best place we can go? Uh, go to my website, bruce-campbell.com. You know, it'll tell you my whole 35-city tour, where I'm going to be, links to get tickets, bookstores, you know, the whole schmeal. So that's always a good thing. And I, I tweet a lot of stuff on Twitter, at Groovy Bruce. All right. Well, we, we'll be, we'll, when this goes out in syndication all over the place and we share it, we're going to be promoting it and promoting it and getting it out there as much as possible, especially your fans. People need to pick up if they're a fan of Bruce Campbell or a fan of Evil Dead or any of the projects Bruce's pick up. Hail to the chin. Further confessions of a B-movie actor. And, Bruce, thanks for taking the time and best of luck. And thanks for explaining a lot of what goes on with your, your life. And people need to definitely check out the book. It looks great. Well, so thank thanks you very much. Bruce. I appreciate it. I'll see you for take the care. sequel. Thanks. All right. Uh, sounds good. I'm, I'm on it. I'll, I'll be there. Take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Total Media Network's Dr. Christopher Hall Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? Thank you again for your service. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go out and probably get a uh, coronavirus test if I, I feel some of those little symptoms. And uh, I appreciate off-air you t- giving me some advice, but I think everyone's advice is that get tested if you start having some sort of symptoms, right? Yeah, and definitely. And now, you know, again, that now we're seeing, learning more about this virus, we're learning more about those atypical symptoms that can present earlier. And so, yeah, with those uh, typical symptoms like dizziness and headache that persist, uh, yeah, you, you certainly probably do need to get tested. All right. Uh, but I'm very excited yeah, about right. the guests that we have today. Yeah, I'm excited too. I'm a huge fan of his. As I mean, again, so go ahead and introduce our guest. Well, no problem. My pleasure. Well, very exciting uh, to introduce one of the most prolific uh, wide receivers in NFL history, uh, a uh, four-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champ. I'd like to welcome to the show, uh, Mr. Isaac Bruce. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Hey, what's up, fellas? Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Exactly, Isaac. How are you dealing with uh, with the uh, virus and uh, again, then uh, just kind of life with the pandemic and everything? How are you been dealing with it? Oh man, uh, strictly by the grace of God, man, and uh, uh, overcoming it. 
making sure uh, that, you know, we keep and place our, our trust in God above and making sure that uh, we're focused on uh, his protection and we're, we're, we're doing outstanding, man. We're, we're thriving in this time. Exactly, for sure. Okay, go ahead, Dr. Hall, for your first question for Isaac. Oh, my God, what a blessing just to have him on the show already with that wonderful message. My God, well, well Isaac, uh, you know, know a whole lot about your phenomenal football career. Uh, tell us a little bit about just kind of uh, where you're from and just your early family life. Uh, born and raised in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, one of 15 children. Uh, my, my dad was a roofer for 40 plus years, uh, in South Florida. Mother was a homemaker, uh, mainly, uh, before pastoring a church and, uh, you know, grew up, uh, watching, loving sports, uh, uh, family, friends, uh, uh, just a, a Fort Lauderdale local product, uh, that really started to overachieve and I uh, had big dreams growing up. And uh, uh, they materialized. Uh, just grew up with a lot of great mentors, a lot of people in my life that uh, showed me the way, that guided me, protected me, and uh, just showed me how to be a productive citizen. Isaac, you said, did you say, right. did you, did I hear that number fifteen children? One of 15, that's correct. Wow. Okay, I, I have six kids of my own, and I have the craziest life. How did you deal with fit being one of 15 children? Oh, it's uh, pretty easy. I mean, uh, when you have eight sisters, that ultimately ultimately means that you have nine mothers. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, six brothers, <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was fun growing up. Uh, never a lack of uh, friends uh, or partners or cliques that we didn't have we had all of those and it was fun i mean we, we're still very close to this day and uh as you can imagine special times like birthdays and holidays you know we get together and uh and just reminisce and that's that's key that's a key part of it for sure all right dr hall next question wow that, that's so incredible and i mean just those early principles that you learn early on from from parents uh, and community leaders, and, uh, you know, just tell us a little bit about that, um, your effect, say, that your dad had on you and your mom. How important was that uh, to your development, your success in life? Uh, just very important. I think, uh, you know, we as sons and daughters, uh, you know, that, that very first influence uh, and most uh, effective influence that we have in life are our parents. Uh, I was fortunate to have uh, parents in my life who, 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 what I call weaned me off of them onto the source, the creator of all things, and really taught me faith and taught me to have a positive act, outlook on life. And, uh, you know, uh, just growing up uh, through the years, just having more mentor, mentors of the same uh, mentality and approach that taught me the exact same thing that really fortified those beliefs. And uh, I was fortunate to be able to carry those throughout, you know, my football career, my post-football career, and even today. And when you talk about, you know, specifically right. the dealing with, uh, you know, being able to listen to mentors, right, Isaac? It sometimes it's you hear the things that you don't want to hear to help you, right? And how do you, how do, you, how did you kind of deal with that in a way to say, really, I'm going to listen to these 
these people that are helping me out and not just have, have a, you know, ignore them in certain ways, but some people do when they get the advice or, or help or so, something and they're, they're not willing to take it. Well, um, you know, what, I, what I've come to learn is that, you know, any training or, you know, any form of uh, chastisement, it, it's, it's, it's really not fun when you're going through it. Um, but at the same time, those who are training you, you know, I think they have a responsibility to make sure that you have the right perspective or that you can see, uh, you know, not only the light at the end of the tunnel, but you can see the actual goal or the purpose of why the training is necessary. So um, when when those mentors and when those who, who are leaders uh, leave from that perspective and, and in that manner, I think it bodes well for, for everyone that's in, you know, that's been that's participating in it. So um, those are some of the things that I learned just, just growing up. And, and like I say, I had two of the best influence, influencers that, you know, uh, a young man like myself could have. And I had them in my household every day. That's fantastic. All right, Dr. Hall, next question. That's totally awesome. And I mean, his dad imparted principles to him uh, that were that were incredible. And he came from uh, from um, humble background to great heights. Uh, tell us what it was like during that time being drafted from a place like uh, a Memphis State or University of Memphis now that was maybe not so known and uh, going into the NFL. What was that like? Well, it was uh, it, it had its challenges uh, from a standpoint where, um, uh, you know, the University of Memphis Memphis State at that time was was pretty much known as a basketball school. So right, it has a right. rich history of basketball, uh, and, and it's funny because when you look in the South, all you normally see is uh, football. But you know, you have that that one pocket right there in, in Memphis where so many great basketball players have come from. And uh, many of them stayed in that city to go to school at the University of Memphis at the time. So um, it, it had its challenges. But the beauty about the NFL is that they can find you. They can find talent. They will find talent. Uh, you can't hide from them no matter where you are. Um, you know, my mind goes to Eric Swan, who never attended college, but was also drafted very high in the National Football League. And guys who kind of, quote, unquote, fly under the radar as far as playing in Power Five conferences, uh, there's there's always an opportunity for uh, the cream to rise to the, to the top, and uh, I think my situation was no different from that. See, that's awesome. a, so. Again, you knew the history of Memphis State in that way of basketball, and so you, it was a secondary situation playing football for them. What year was that again, Isaac? Were you there when Memphis was at its highest level in basketball? Um, I think the highest level that we had was probably in 2000, uh, whatever, when we made it to the final four. We've made two final fours, but, um, you know, I was fortunate to go with some, some, uh, some of the biggest names, like the current head coach, Anthony Hardaway. Uh, he and I were classmates, uh, 91, oh, wow. uh, 92. And, uh, you know, some guys like Rod Brown, Larry Porter, uh, basketball players, uh, Cedric Henderson, those guys, they came out and, and you know, had a shot an opportunity to play on a professional level. So, um, you know, I enjoyed it. I wanted to go to a school that was uh, significant in football and also significant in basketball. So they had to be, have something to do once football season was over. So interesting that you were with Penny Hardaway. So you, you, you guys were probably following each other's careers in a lot of ways, right? In the professionals. 
of the success of oh, both yeah. of you. I mean, yeah. Just, yeah, just any tiger that, that uh, makes it to that ultimate level, be it basketball, football, baseball, uh, you know, the WNBA. Um, you know, I did my best to kind of follow their careers and, and cheer them on. And, and uh, whenever we got back, just congratulate and share stories uh, when we got back for probably alumni weekend. Huh. All right. Awesome. All right, Dr. Hall, next question. Wow, just an incredible story. Well, Isaac, uh, you know, saying those you are familiar with is uh, the race is not given to the swift or the battle to the mighty, but being at the right in the right time at the right place. So, explain that. What does that mean to you? Well, it's it's very similar to when uh, you know my my ancestor Abraham was looking for a wife for his daughter, his son uh, Isaac, and. Uh, you know, he, he, he asked his servant, made a covenant with his servant to go back to his homeland to get a, get a wife for his, his son. And it's amazing the prayer that the servant prayed to God, you know, to ask, asking him for success even before he took his first step towards that journey. And to me, that means that, you know, apart from God, we can do nothing. Um, you know, he, he's, he's divine. We are the branches. And uh, we need that sap or that, that spiritual maturity to produce fruit. And to me, I mean, just having, you know, me plus God always means that I'm, I'm in the majority. So, therefore, uh, that makes me an overcomer. Um, just that mindset within itself, man, would, would, would really, really place us where we need to be as a society. Yeah, that's so true. Right. To be the overcomer to to not give up and let the doors open where they are and in that way where would you kind of talk about that from you know playing at memphis to getting to the nfl uh that doors opening for you isaac oh absolutely it, it, it seems as as if uh every stop i made uh there was always people there to help me uh to help me and uh to encourage me uh to make sure that uh you know a college student like myself uh, broke at that time, but would have a, a meal to eat, uh, could, could help with uh, my education at that time, making sure I was in the right place at the right, right time. It's just amazing how God placed those people in my path. And uh, we, we, we had a combination, had a connection with each other. And it's still lasting to the day. And it, it, it's just amazing from uh, when I first started my college career in Los Angeles to Memphis to being drafted back at, at Los Angeles, moving to St. Louis. And then retiring, it's just amazing how those people and uh, have were placed right there at the right time for me, uh, not only to glean from them but to serve them as best I could. Very interesting. All right, Doctor Hall. Wow, and, and, that, and that's I me. Mean, oh, that's so incredibly true. Um, you know the the, the uh, how when we we, we use those princ- those principles that are that are, are in, in the Bible and, and learn from our, our parents and our coaches and uh, um, how we can succeed. So that's incredible. Well, you know, there's, there's, there's tons of young men who would love to be in your shoes, who would love to play in the NFL and be Super Bowl champ and go to two Super Bowls and a pro bowler. Uh, but they're going to, you know, have some challenging times going through college and getting to, to that position. What advice would you give those individuals, um, Isaac? would say dream big and and continue to dream uh when one when one dream is manifested you know dream another dream um 
I think that when when the time comes when they have to share their goals and their dreams, uh, if, it, if and when it goes in the ears of uh, other people, they don't seem crazy. They don't seem uh, preposterous. They don't seem impossible. I think the dream may just be too small. So um, continue to dream. Uh, continue to trust in uh, uh, a power much higher than yourself and believe in yourself. Uh, believe in your ability to uh, trust and believe God to, 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 to do what he told you he would do. And um, that would be my advice. Uh, I would always say that the, the cement is uh, still wet. It's still time for you to uh, kind of, you know, write your name in that cement before it hardens. And uh, never forget that. That's that's great. That's great advice uh, for sure. Now, Isaac, you talked about your opportunities, but again, moving from Los Angeles to St. Louis, the football team, and then seeing how terrible you guys were to get to the Super Bowl. uh, The story with you and Kurt Warner, the story of just unknowns that no one thought the Rams would do what they did. What a fairy tale story that was. It's a great story within itself. I mean, Kirk definitely had a great career, um, just really basically came out of nowhere uh, as far as everyone else that was watching him. But, you know, to me, I, I happen to think that Kirk, he had dreams as well. I mean, he was there for every every moment of it, every every step of the way he, he participated in it. And just to, you know, play for an organization like the Rams, man, I was, I was truly elated to get there, being drafted in 1994. Um, I think at that time, uh, the, the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals were uh, in, a, in, a, in a tight race for the worst team of the 90s at that time. I remember, yeah. So I felt like I felt like that, you know, just being placed there, I was in the right place at the right time, you know, because, you know, it's funny because it's very rare that, you know, you get great players to go to great teams that are already established. I mean, the, the draft in it, within itself doesn't work that way. So just to be uh, uh, a player with the mindset that I had and uh, drafted by a team that I was drafted by the Rams, um, I felt like that I was planted there. Number one, to turn the program around, you know, with the other draft picks that year. And, uh, I mean, I just believe God always places his righteous trees into chaotic areas, and we provide that shade. We provide that fruit, that fruit for, that, for those areas. People people receive it. People eat the fruit, and 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 they, they thrive under the shade that we provide. Wow, that's uh, that's so powerful. Go ahead, Doctor Hall. Just, just so so inspiring. Righteous trees in chaotic areas. Just something that's just, wow, wow. That's so incredible. Let, let's go back to that um, last part of that uh, Super Bowl thirty four. Okay, when we're down to the last minute, and we need that touchdown. And you're there. Tell us what that feeling was like to make that catch in the clinch to victory. Well, to be honest, man, I think, you know, everyone that's uh, ever played football or had aspirations to play football, you know, I think they've always seen themselves uh, in spots or in moments like that, uh, either being the, the, the quarterback, the running back, but most likely the, rock, the wide receiver catching the game-winning pass in the championship game. So, uh, you talk and ask about feelings. I think that's a feeling that I had since, you know, being an eight-year-old, you know, cheering on the Miami Dolphins, Dan Marino, Mark yes. Clayton, Mark Duper, 
and uh, just going in my backyard and just having those moments, rehearsing those moments in my mind and, uh, and in my imagination, uh, just going over it, over it again and again. So when the, when that part of my life really manifests itself, um, it, it isn't shocking, or it, it's 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 really hard to, you know, do flips and do jumping jacks because I've been there over a thousand times, and uh, I don't say that pridefully, but I say it as humbly as I can. You know, when God gives you uh, dreams, when He gives you ideas, when He gives you concepts, you know, He also provides for you a, a, a movie script or, a, you know, a, a pre-trial of what you can play over and over within your imagination. So that was no different. I mean, just being in that in that situation in Super Bowl 34 towards the end of the game, and uh, it's going down. It's a tie score in the Super Bowl with over 50 million people watching the game and just being able to, to catch the ball and, and really just have my childhood dream play out in front of millions of people. Special moment. No, I mean, I, right. to, the, to write it, right, Isaac, it, it would be hard to write some story like this to get that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And, and when you walked off the field as a champion, how did that feel? felt great man uh, I was uh, it's funny because you're, you're more happy for the other people that you know uh, that were a part of that journey with you I was big time happy for my teammates uh, offensively defensively special team guys big time happy for my coaches uh, the, the general manager that put the team together um, I was really excited for them and I'm sure they were excited for me and uh, you know just, just sharing those moments those are moments that you'll never forget they're, they're, they may be captured uh, from from a photographer's film, but they are definitely imprinted in our mind and our thinking forever. Okay. Next question, Doctor. Wow, it's just I mean a, a truly inspire inspiring story. So, and um, tell us a little bit about how important you think it is. Uh, and you've been involved in uh, things like a charity and a foundation. How important is that stuff for for athletes to, to get involved with the community and? Uh, and just be an example for our young people. I think it's very important. I think it's part of our makeup. Um, you know, it's part of our culture, part of our heritage uh, to do for others. I mean, uh, today we, we are celebrating the life of uh, Congressman John Lewis, and uh, he exemplified uh, helping others and standing up and being a voice for the voiceless. So I think it's part of our makeup as professional athletes. Um, we have that, 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 that stage. We have that platform to really speak for those who may be a little timid or may not have the words to, to really elaborate what, what needs to be said. But, you know, there's a lot of microphones in our faces uh, as professional athletes, and I, I, I think we can use those platforms to really speak and really get into our communities and change those communities for the better. Great, wow. great. So true. So, so true, and to be that difference maker when life after um retiring did you have a plan for after football absolutely i believe uh preparation is key uh no matter you know what whatever your next step is uh, i did have a plan uh had a plan go out execute the plan and uh you know like i say i mean i was taught to have a positive outlook on life and, and nothing changed from that aspect once I retired. So um, it, it, it's, it's within 
its fulfillment right now, and we're pressing forward. So preparation is always key for for each segment and, you know, each season of life. Okay, next question, Dr. Wow, incredible, very incredible. And uh, you made reference there to John Lewis, and I'm a Fisk alumni, alumni myself, as he went to Fisk, and so was just a wonderful individual and very passionate. So um, how important is that, uh, again, that passion for mankind, again, for what's right, and uh, the role of, of us believing in God and being reverent people, how important is that for our society uh, to get together during this time? It's very important. I think the, the, the promise of salvation uh, it, it has always been there. It, it, it's there, and, uh, uh, you know, it's up for us, you know, as a people uh, to really receive and accept that invitation. And, you know, love changes. Uh, love, is, love is in the air. Love is very powerful. Um, you know, uh, we see... In the Word of God, where where He talks about uh, justice, and justice has to do with love. I mean, so there's there's a there's a love and there's a love for justice, and uh, I think you know the climate of that we're living in right now, we're, we're starting to see a lot of justice, a lot of recompense uh, that's happening, and and to tell the truth about it, I'm excited about it. That's got to be because you now have this opportunity, this voice, Isaac especially with the challenges going on with COVID-19, uh, the, the issues, race issues, to be really a, a person that why you were put on this earth to be successful in sports so that you have another platform to help others and now have those conversations more and more when you never expect when that's going to happen, but you're ready to do it, right, Isaac? Absolutely. I think, uh, like, like I see, the platform is important. Uh, the message is important, and you know, repetition of that message is also important. So, uh, the more we can get it out, the more we will. And uh, I'll be here to do it. I'll be here to, uh, to see see the uh, fruition of it. Now, Isaac, you as a podcaster, did you think you would do podcasting? I'm sure when all the, the first time you hear about podcasting, and you do, I'm sure you again have been involved in radio shows throughout your career or different types of things as an athlete, but your own podcast. Did you think you would do something like that? Absolutely. Um, I, I hosted a, a weekly radio show uh, throughout my playing career uh, in St. Louis. And uh, it's just a smooth transition to me. I mean, we mostly talk football, uh, we talk. Uh, societal issues um, it's pretty much you know an extension of the locker room so um, you go into a, a NFL NBA MLS locker room I mean you can probably hear opinions just about uh, just about on every subject so I think podcasts are there they're no different and uh, you know just the, 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 the content of the, co- the podcast is also important so me being a part of one having an opportunity to uh, speak about things I know I can speak about my team uh the Los Angeles Rams I happen to be a homer <laughs> uh, we're, we're on a podcast where you know you, you can find it on all you know on on, on, on every uh system that that provides podcasts so I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. it it's a smooth transition it's easy and uh I like doing it 
Now, it's also great to work with someone with Braun and the team over at Believe. They really have some great ideas in branding, really utilizing the sports platforms to for the fans. The fans want to know what's going on with the Los Angeles Rams every week throughout the year, regardless of what's happening. Because a lot of times you listen to talk shows and they're kind of slanted towards not the fan, but controversy instead of providing great information, but also being real, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, one of our objectives is to, you know, just make the Rams listeners, uh, the Ram fans, uh, uh, even more passionate about the team, even more passionate about the players. And, you know, a lot of people use podcasts. They use media outlets to get their information. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. And there's a, there's a plethora of information going out there. Uh, it's I think it's uh, to their benefit, you know, to hear that information from a guy that's been in the locker room, that's had those moments, can, can kind of brief them on what's going on, what coaches are thinking, what players are thinking, and, uh, you know, the approach that they may have for, for a game week to week. That's so true because uh, week to week you'll have the inside source. People are going to w- talk to Isaac Bruce before talking to the member of media sometimes, right? Isaac, you can get some insight and some players will open up a little bit more to you than a regular media guy that's not played in the NFL and had success like you, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, players and former players, we know we know questions to ask. We know, you know, what we should ask, when we should ask it. Uh, we don't just, you know, for example, we don't just ask a wide receiver, well, how come you've missed the pass? You know, we, we may ask uh, about the timing of the route. Is it supposed to be thrown here? Uh, and I think that kind of opens up everyone from the quarterback to the wide receiver and really gives some insight to our listeners. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Hall, summarize Isaac Bruce for me. No problem. No problem. My pleasure. And, I mean, from the, the height of the NFL, the Super Bowl champ, Isaac, he represents, and he's always been consistent, reverent, factual. And and so very, very excited that he came on the show today, shared these precious minutes with us, a superstar of life. Um, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Isaac Bruce, for coming on the show. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, Isaac, where can we go to the Believe uh, Podcast Network to check out the show? But what's the name of the show and how people can connect and subscribe and all that? Absolutely. The name of the show is Ramblings. It's L.A. Ramblings, uh, hosted by myself, Isaac Bruce, and my college teammate, former Rams player, Marcus Doc Holiday. And it's found on all platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. So just go ahead and or just, just – uh, Go into Believe.com, and you can get all the information that you need to listen to our podcast, man. Hopefully we do well, and uh, we treat our listeners well. Exactly, and you're ready for the season, right? You cannot wait to uh, – like, You like seeing sports, right? That's nice now, Absolutely. right? You get re- Absolutely. We're, yeah. we're anticipating sponsors for our, for our podcast, and uh, it, it's football season. It's uh, one of the best times of the year. Training camp is underway. And yes, and and again, I'm a huge Aaron Donald fan because of Pittsburgh. We spoke about his foundation. Chris and I interviewed his sister. They're doing great work. And uh, and so, are you in LA? Are you located in LA right now, or where are you uh, located? I'm currently in South Florida right now. South Florida. Okay, uh, but I'm sure you'll be traveling to, uh, to be part of that whole process once 
COVID-19 and all that. But I appreciate you coming by, Isaac, and uh, really sharing with us your story. I did not know that story. And uh, you're you're an inspiration. And you keep up that great work and best success on your podcast, okay? Thank you. You guys do the same. All right, take care. All right, thanks. Okay, see you. All right, guys, that's the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. Take care, everyone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Light and Morning Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the program, Margo. I'm Mark. Margo, what's going on? How are you? I'm full of Thanksgiving turkey still. <laughs> absolutely. We had a wonderful Thanksgiving, did you? Yes, absolutely. It was fantastic and um, rested and relaxed and ready for an amazing December. And our topic today is we're going to go into the Miracle Pie. Tell me how you came up with the title for that chapter and which chapter is that? And as we continue to talk light in the morning uh, with you, your book. Yeah. Yeah. The chapter is called Miracle Pie. I think, I think it's, let's see, um, the fifth chapter of my book. Um, and it's called a miracle pie because of the story, because there was literally a miracle pie. <laughs> um, you know, we talked about this in another podcast and it's really, really interesting to talk about miracles because I found out with the miracle pie that miracles happen without us looking. It's when our attention is not there. That's why they're miracles. We, we literally can't see it happen. And then it just kind of pops up before us and it's really something to experience. And this, that's why this took a whole chapter of the book. It's a short chapter, but it, it, I had to write it because it was so phenomenal. Um, anyway, you want me to tell you the story? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> let's do, let's just jump into that. Cause again, these, these situations and, and how they relate to certain things in life. It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. And it's interesting because it showed me many things. First of all, um, this was about my friend, Tom, and he died of cancer, uh, quite quickly, I would say. And we found out after we had already done the memorial service from this wise person that we should actually do this service, the memorial service on the 10th day, because this person told us that the body would be more processed and the soul would be ready and more present. So apparently there's something that goes on on the other side that in human life takes about 10 days in order for that person to be very present at their own funeral. So we had already done the memorial service. So what we did is we had a dinner party at my friend Ann's house. Ann was Tom's girlfriend at the time. And there was 17 of us at the party. It was just a small group of closest friends. There was a table in the dining room of 12 um, settings and then five people were in the kitchen at a round table and it was so interesting because we could all feel Tom there it it was palpable we could we could feel him in the air and everybody said that everybody could just feel his presence and um you know we were having dinner and we were telling Tom stories and laughing and crying and and just really having a very deep wonderful evening you know remembering Tom And then at the end, um, all the plates were removed and uh, Anne, his girlfriend, comes over with 17 plates for 17 people for dessert. And she put them in front of Deborah and I and she says, and Deborah brought dessert. Well, then she brings out this little pie. It's a small apple pie. And because it's apple and crumbly, you can really only, you know, if it were a cream pie or something or pumpkin pie, maybe you could have made eight pieces out of it. But because it was big and crumbly, you could only get six pieces out of this pie. 
And she put down seven plates next to it. And I immediately said, I said under my breath, you know, I'm not having any. And Deborah says, I'm not having any. And then all the people around us realized that the only people who were going to get dessert were going to be the five people in the other kitchen who couldn't see how small the pie was, you know, and we thought, no problem. So we start cutting the pie, Deborah cut it, and I would take the piece, put it on the plate, and we'd pass it toward the kitchen. And while we started doing that, um, somebody asked me to tell a story about Tom. And so while cutting the pie and passing it or passing it forward, I was telling this story about Tom and people were asking questions. We were laughing and, um, and all of a sudden, I mean, after many minutes of this story, somebody said, okay, we all got pie. And we looked around and everybody, that was somebody from the kitchen. So the kitchen all had the pie, but I looked around at the table and everybody at our table had pie. And we Deborah and I looked at each other. We said loaves and fishes, and we looked down at the pie plate. There was a great big piece of pie that could be cut in half, and one given to Deborah and one to me. And then we all had pie. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Neil. I have never experienced anything like that. I just, I just started laughing. It's hard to even express what happened yes because we couldn't figure out what did happen how did we all get by you know it's like the miracle of the fish you know of how we're able to feed so many people yeah exactly exactly and so you know somebody somebody mentioned there's only the people around us that really truly got it that could see the size of the pie see the 17 plates and see you know see what was happening just the immediate people around me are the ones that really saw it and somebody asked me another question. I started telling another story. And and then after about 10 seconds, I started laughing. I said, you guys, you guys, wait a minute. Do you realize we all have pie? Do you realize that? And I was laughing so hard that the people in the kitchen came out to see what I was laughing at. And this friend of ours, Cindy comes up and she sees the pie and she goes, Oh, it's a miracle pie. <laughs> and that's how the, that's how the chapter got named because she named it the, the miracle pie. And I'll tell you, that night, I called Deborah and I left a message on her machine. I said, Deborah, I'm still laughing. I, I still am just in awe and I can't get over it. I said, where did the pie come from? Did we cut a piece and it just automatically grew back and, and we cut the same piece over and over until we had five pieces left? Did we empty out the whole pie and the whole pie came back? Oh, <laughs> what happened? Where did the pie come from? I, I, and I woke up the next morning still just laughing in absolute disbelief over it because I just have never experienced anything like that. And it was pretty incredible. I still can't tell you where that pie came from because it was a miracle. And that's why I tell you that miracles happen when you're not even looking. They don't, they, they your attention is somewhere else and some miracle is happening. You're not allowed to see the miracle. You know, it's a mystery. Oh my God. It was, so, it was pretty incredible. I was blown the, away. We all were. And so those are the things that you've tell in your book. And it's like, when you talk about specifically Tom in general, did that just remind you of Tom in so many ways of what he did before? It, it, it did. It, it did. And just as I'm telling you this story, I'm remembering another little piece of this because, um, you know, it was such an incredible thing. It, we were kind of laughing and crying over this miracle. And I remember just just laughing and 
I kind of looked up and in my mind's eye, I had this, I saw this vision of Tom. He was, I looked up and it was a little bit to my left, kind of in the air. And there was Tom and he had this white stuff in his hands, kind of like clouds, but it was obviously heavier than clouds because he was taking them and throwing it up in the air, this cloud-like stuff. He was throwing it up in the air. And he was telling me that there's plenty, that there's absolutely plenty. It's everywhere and it's plenty. And he, and that was a, a, a message for life that we will never run out. And so it was, he, he was on the other side, just throwing this stuff in the air, like kind of laughing himself going, Margo, there's plenty in life. There's plenty. And th- that was the message from this whole thing. That was his huge message to me that there's plenty. And I have to tell you, it didn't make me irresponsibility. I mean, irresponsibly financially, but something deep inside knew that I'd always be okay. You know, we always get to these points in our life, or maybe we don't, <laughs> maybe some of us never get to those points, but I have often get to, gotten to these points in life where I'm like, oh my God, am I going to run out of money? You know, I'm on commission. And it's just like money is always a worry. And ever since that message from Tom, I have not worried financially. I've still worked wow. really hard and I've still been very, yeah, never, I've, but that worry was gone because I always knew from that moment on, I would not end up in a ditch somewhere, you know, sleeping yeah, it's, it's in amazing outside. Or, money, money comes where you least expect it to happen in certain ways. And that if you, if you work hard and do the right thing and things are going to happen, even if things start to look down for you, Margot, seconds later, something else pops up. So one bad situation leads to another great situation a lot of times. And that's we, right. Where we can lose hope for a second. And then before you know it, something comes and pops up that, oh, I didn't think about that. I forgot about that. So it's a, it's a lesson exactly. we all have to learn and we get these emotional situations. And then before you know it, wow, oh, something else popped up. Wow. Yeah. And I'm that. fine. Yeah, and exactly. It, Neil, that's exactly how it happens. You, you absolutely. And this is something that you always try to bring to the table in the light and morning uh, is Margo. When we've always talked is you always look at, well, there's always going to be the next thing that's going to change our perspective. So when these, th- these problems happen, as we always will happen in life, the next thing happens. And then we kind of look, you know, we, we feel so upset about what just happened today. And then t- two hours later, everything changed. You're like, what? Exactly. What exactly. Yeah. I know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. The miracles are going on in the background. You, you just, there's just some big cosmic force watching out for us. You know, um, you know, I'm a realtor, as you know, and I lost my assistant. Um, she, she took a full-time job and a couple of days later, I get this call from this person, this friend of mine who had a, a, a real estate license in Maryland. And she says she wants to get one in, in North Carolina and is it worth it? You know, what's, what's it going to be like? And she said, I guess what I'm really asking is, would you ever need an assistant or anything like that? And I just went really, yes. <laughs> and she's incredible. I mean, she's already a broker and everything. And it, that was a little miracle because I'm sitting here going, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm too busy not to have an, an assistant, you know? And so I just had a recent miracle too. And you know, I think it's a good season to think about miracles, isn't it? Because we're all, you know, thinking of Christmas and either being with our loved ones or not being able to be. And 
do we have enough money to buy presents or not? And this is a time to really understand and appreciate that there's miracles in life and there's plenty for all of us. There's plenty. Absolutely. I think it's a great theme, uh, Margo, and look forward to, to talking another chapter with you and also talking about Christmas time and how holiday season we talked about in Thanksgiving, how we can honor our loved ones and also try to speak to them, especially in this time of year where we can, the ones that have passed, have those conversations. It might could be in a dream as uh, mm-hmm, I had mm-hmm. my father in a dream this last night. And uh, I was like, he seemed like he was there and it was a weird dream, but it was something where he was speaking to me. So these are these interesting things that we have to utilize and be open to our subconscious to bring to us for sure. And did he give you a message? He kind of gave me a message. I have to more write it down and figure out what that message was, but uh, absolutely. Wonderful. That's, that's, that's great, Neil. I am really happy to hear that. Absolutely. All right. So where can we check out the book and stuff? You know, lightenmorning.com or it's available on Amazon, right? And people, this will be a great, That's right. great present. And when you hear, you know, the title of your book, Margo, always people have to remember is we're going to hear about you being an undertaker's daughter, but really you're going to learn about the supernatural life and how to basically talk to our loved ones after they pass and have those conversations. That's exactly right. And right. to realize that they're still alive. Hey, if they like the book, tell them to write a review. <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds good, Margo. I appreciate you coming by and thanks for stopping by. Thank you, Neil. All right, Bye. guys. That was the Light and Morning Podcast, guys. Take care. We're back to, to the Neil Haley Show and I'm excited to welcome to the show actress Lauren White. Lauren, thanks for stopping by and I appreciate you coming on the Neil Haley Show. It is absolutely my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk about your career. And basically enough, I guess, what do you think you're most known for? What 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 uh, project would you say you're most known for, if you'd say? Yeah, probably Parks and Recreation on NBC, even though the episode is a little bit older and the show has ended. Uh, people watch it in reruns and they say, were you on Parks and Rec? I think I saw you on that. <laughs> so it's been a really fun. It was a really fun role when I did it, but then it's been even kind of fun how it's, how it's lived. That show still lives on. It definitely does live on. And what do you think the reasons why it does live on? Like it's because again, people just keep binging things or later after the show's even finished in, in certain ways. And tell me about that character on Parks and Rec. Well, <laughs> just, just to tag on to that, I feel like sometimes it takes, because there's so much amazing content, mm-hmm. sometimes it takes people a while to even realize that something's out there. So they might not have even heard of Parks and Recreation until this year when they're looking for content to watch and then they find it and they love it just, you know, five years later, 10 years later, however much. I mean, I know I started rewatching Golden Girls <laughs> during the pandemic and it's gold, even though it's been right. off the air for what, 30 years or something. Exactly. Um, my character on Parks and Rec, her name was Lacey, or I guess she still is. She still exists in the ethers. <laughs> she uh, was a lobbyist. And so Amy Poehler and Adam Scott, uh, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the show. Or, or I've watched some of them. Yes, I'm familiar. <laughs> but Amy Poehler obviously is, is just a delightful character as Leslie Nope. And she is a local politician with really big aspirations and kind of these fun crushes on different people in politics. And so she goes to a party and Adam Scott's character introduces her to my character. 
And there's, there's this little bit of a dynamic where she's feeling a little insecure um, without any reason, just because. And so we kind of get this fun little interaction with her being not snippy, but like reactive. And she is just so incredibly talented as an actor and comedic performer. So what's up with the politics roles as well? And you were behind the scenes a little bit more in this. Uh, you had some good roles in politics too, right? Especially talking about uh, Netflix and stuff, right? I, I was on House of Cards, yeah. <laughs> which... Whew, if that's not a political show, I don't know what it oh is. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so you think about House of Cards, I always like chatting about this, is the fact that, you know, you we pretty much the second we saw Trump completely in the House of Cards in so many ways. At certain points, it was going down the road. It's like he watched the show, right? <laughs> Some of the things he pulled. I mean, I can't comment on that. I don't know. <laughs> I can just say that when I first watched that show, I was like, what? My, I think my doors were blown off that, that that stuff happens, but it happens. People are, people are interesting. Yeah. And, but from house of cards to the point of reality with uh, Trump's presidency and, yeah. and, and then that, you never know what's going to happen next in politics and in so many ways. And Basically, you're behind the scenes as well on some of these shows, right? You, you're not, you just are not. Um, kind of explain a little bit about your background in entertainment and stuff like that for our listeners and the viewers. I do have experience behind the camera. On those particular shows, I did not work in a capacity. I wasn't a producer. I wasn't a writer. I was solely talent, um, which, hey, that's a great title to have. But yes, I do have experience producing and some writing. Um, one of one of the shows that I was a part of as far as talent and crew um, actually was up for Emmy consideration, which was really exciting. And um, that's on Amazon. It's called Partners in Wine. And it's a, a short form comedy. It has nothing to do with politics. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a lot more lighthearted, kind of just a slice of life buddy comedy. And the whole comedic comedy thing. So what do you think? You consider yourself a comedian first before an actress, or what do you where where does where does it go first? Comedy your first love? That's a really good question. I I don't consider myself a comedian in in the the traditional sense of the word, as in a stand-up, uh, though I have done stand-up and I have immense respect for stand-up comedians. But yeah, comedy is my first love. I mean, I grew up in, in a family full of funny people and I honestly didn't think that I was funny because they were so funny. And then I kind of started going out into the real world and people were like, you're really funny. And I was like, no, 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 no. You haven't met my cousin. You haven't met my dad. You know. And so I grew up with it and I found that my biggest joy is making people laugh. I, I love bringing a smile to people's face. And I feel like that's, it's kind of, there's so much negative in our world that it's nice to be able to bring levity and just give people a break for 30 seconds or more. Exactly. They need it, right? So yes. they don't sort of forget Especially about it. I'm going to continue. So uh, COVID, that kind of, you did a viral type thing on Instagram a couple of years ago and you never knew it would keep building steam and now it continues, right? It's not stopped. That yeah. Right? It was, it was created right at 